We are starting a new study in the book of James, and James is all about living out your faith. James is a doer, and he's going to challenge us to live out what we say we believe, not to be merely a hearer of the word who deludes himself, but to be a doer. And this first study is all about tests. How do we make it through trials in life? How do we stand in our faith through the tests? We'll find out more today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. All right, we're in James chapter 1, the book of James. When I used to teach the memorizing the books of the Bible, and people would get stuck, and they would say, ah, oh, what's the next book? I'm at the book of Hebrews. I would try to give them a hint, and I'd start to do a little James Brown. Bum, 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 bum. Ah! <laughs> and uh, they'd say, oh, that's right, the book of James. So there you go. Jump back. Want to touch this guy? Ah! Okay, anyway. <laughs> That was a weak attempt at a little James Brown. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the testing of your faith. I know your faith's already been tested with that poor approach to James Brown. But um, we are in the book of James, and we are going to have four power-packed chapters. So if you can locate the book of James, and James is one of the earliest books of the New Testament, or you might say one of the oldest books. In fact, it probably dates to about A.D. 49. Um, Jesus died around 32, 33 A.D. So you're talking about the book of James being written some 15 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The New Testament books um, that are the two earliest are probably James and Galatians. Uh, The book of Matthew is probably very early. Some people think it's the book of Mark. But they're all around 49 to 50 AD. And Galatians and James are very interesting to contrast when you go to a study of the book of James. Because the book of Galatians is written by who? By Paul. And Paul is defending the biblical gospel in the book of Galatians. I know the ladies are starting a study in Galatians. And you're looking at the authentic gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the price has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. Logan and I had a chance to go to Miguel's today because Miguel's is uh, really like required daily eating, don't you think? And anyway, we're, we engaged a young man. We we're talking a little bit and, and Logan asked him a question. He said, hey, if a friend of yours was dying and had 30 seconds to live, What would you tell him? How would you explain how to get right with God? And Logan told me afterwards that he asked that question of a lot of people and a lot of people respond the same way. They say something like this. Well, I would tell the person that they need to pray more. I would tell the person to read the Bible more. I would tell the person to get baptized. Um, All of those answers are good, but incorrect, If you have 30 seconds to live, the only thing you want to know is not, can I start a reading plan in Genesis? It's how do I get saved? How can my soul be secure with the God who made me and the God who is both good and gracious, but is also a judge? 
So you want to tell them about the hope of the gospel, but that that price has been paid in full and let no one distort that gospel. Not even us, says Paul, or an angel from heaven. If we proclaim any other gospel than the one that we've proclaimed to you, let him be anathema under the curse of God. And then Paul will say later in Galatians 2 that a man or a woman is justified by faith, not by works. So the book of Galatians is dealing with what's called the Judaizing heresy, that there are Jewish people, they may have meant well, but they were telling people, you've got to do certain things to be saved. That's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is you believe in the work of Jesus Christ and you're saved. Now, the book of James is a good contrast to Galatians in this sense. The book of James says, once you're saved, James is from the show me state. The show me state is Missouri. And here's how it works. If you say you're a believer, show me, says James. I want to see your faith in action. Paul's dealing with justification before God in the sense of our legal justification. James is dealing with our justification before men. He's saying the only way that a person is going to know that you're saved is how you live. It's going to be that you actually prove what you say. You can say things with your mouth. Even the demons believe that God is one and they shudder. They have one up on a lot of people. There are a lot of people who say they believe in God, but they don't shudder. They don't live in the fear of the Lord. And I'm talking about a healthy fear, a reverence of God. But the demons even believe theologically correct, but they're not saved. They don't have a personal relationship with God. And James, in four power-packed chapters, the theme of the book of James is living out your faith. If you want to write that down, the theme of the book of James is living out your faith in trials, in good deeds, in your actions, and with your speech. Your mouth, the whole Uh, chapter three of the book of James is that your mouth is a good indicator of your heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. And so your mouth will give you away. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He apparently wrote the book of James uh, before the Jerusalem council, which is in Acts chapter 15. It's a council that he chaired And he is dealing with, show me your faith. Or we could say what practical faith looks like, what faith looks like in action. Faith will produce. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. You get saved by grace, but a true saving faith will be productive. It won't always produce the same fruit in every season, but the overarching theme of a truly saved life will be fruit. It will be the production of the life of God. James is a doer. He says in James 1.22, don't be merely a hearer of the word, be what? A doer. That's what James is about. James himself was a doer and he challenges us to be doers as well. Intellectual agreement to a a set of facts is not enough. James says either put up or shut up. And it's really that blunt. He's saying, look, if you're going to say you're a Christian, then I want to see it in your life. James opens the letter by naming himself. Notice he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, Jacob is a common male first name, less, and a less well-known surname is its cognate, James. James is a cognate of Jacob, or Jacob, or Jacob, as the Hebrews would say. Jacob is obviously one of the most well-known characters of the Old Testament because Jacob was a conniver, a supplanter, a manipulator, and he met God and wrestled with the Lord, and his name was changed to Israel. And I think James Montgomery Boyce said it well when Israel probably means God prevails. And James, being a cognate of Jacob, it's obvious why so many people were named James, because Jacob is this famous person in the history of the people of Israel. And James is writing to the 12 tribes, verse 1, who are dispersed abroad. And he sends them greetings. Bible students note, note that the word greetings is also used in Acts 15, 23, as a letter is written from the Jerusalem Council after a decision is made about the purity of the gospel in Acts 15. And it's written to the believing Gentiles to tell them that they're saved by grace. And the letter opens with greetings. And so uh, I think it's important just to note that the same word is used here. And so James describes himself as a bondservant. He's a doulos of God. The, uh, the word or the name James is derived from the Italian Giacomo. The simplicity of the identification is in reference to the well-known James the Just or the half-brother of the Lord. In Galatians 1.19, if you flip back there for a second as we've talked about a little bit about Galatians, you'll see the identification of James as Paul tells his story about confirming the gospel. Go to Galatians 1, look at verse 19. Paul says uh, in 18, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostles except Galatians 1.19, James, the Lord's brother. James, in the book of James, is the brother of Jesus. In the book of John, if you flip over to John chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see there's an account of Jesus's brothers. They're telling him to go up to the feast and to reveal himself and to do some works. John 7 uh, verse 5 says, for not even his brothers, Jesus's brothers were believing in him. John 7 verse 5. Now there's an interesting scripture in 1 Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, which is the most exhaustive chapter on the resurrection. Just flip over there, there to 1 Corinthians 15. One of the resurrection appearances that happened that's recorded after the Lord appeared to Peter, as we talked about on Sunday, was that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, most of whom remain until now. Some have fallen asleep or died. Then Jesus appeared, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, to James, then to all the apostles. It's believed by scholars, since it says in John 7, 5, that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him, 
And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says that Jesus... Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. But I did not see any other apostles except Galatians 1.19, James, the Lord's brother. James, in the book of James, is the brother of Jesus. In the book of John, if you flip over to John chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see there's an account of Jesus' brothers. They're telling him to go up to the feast and to reveal himself and to do some works. John 7 Uh, Verse five says, for not even his brothers, Jesus's brothers were believing in him. John seven, verse five. Now there's an interesting scripture in first Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, first Corinthians in chapter 15, which is the most exhaustive chapter on the resurrection. Just flip over there there to first Corinthians 15. One of the resurrection appearances that happened that's recorded after the Lord appeared to Peter, as we talked about on Sunday, was that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, most of whom remain until now. Some have fallen asleep or died. Then Jesus appeared, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, to James, then to all the apostles. It's believed by scholars since it says in John 7, 5 that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says that Jesus appeared to James. And then in the book of Acts and in Galatians and other places, James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. James became a believer, but it would appear only after his resurrected brother appeared to him. Now, I say half-brother because Jesus was born of a virgin. But Mary and Joseph, after the birth of Jesus, did come together as a couple and other children were born to Mary and Joseph, brothers and sisters. Now, if you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, this may bother you a little bit because you've probably been taught about the perpetual virginity of Mary, that Mary was a perpetual virgin and she was that way her whole life. But that is not the case. And uh, the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 3, the book of Matthew in chapter 13, I think it's around verse 55, says that Jesus had siblings. He had brothers. He had sisters. Now, they were technically half-brothers and sisters because they came into the world in the normal way that babies are born when a husband and wife come together. But Jesus was the exception. He was the God-man. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? Let's say that you're James and you're eating your Captain Crunch in the morning. 
with Jesus. Imagine all that James could have reflected on and experienced as he grew up with Jesus. Jesus would have been his older brother. Jesus was the firstborn. So he had some of those privileges. But as you grew up with Jesus in the household, just imagine all that James could have reflected on in what he saw in Jesus, and yet he would not believe in Jesus even after Jesus had done multitudes of miracles, had proved who he was, his brother would not believe. Do you know why I think that may be especially hard for a brother? Is when you grow up in the same household with somebody, what do you have? Sibling rivalry. It's gotta be hard to grow up with a perfect brother. I mean, I know some of our brothers and sisters think they're perfect, but Jesus actually was perfect. So it had to be hard. Can you imagine mom and dad saying, why can't you be like your brother? (laughs) That would be hard to live up to, right? So I don't know how it felt for James and and Jude and others. Um, Jude actually, in the book of Jude, which is right before Revelation, take a peek at it. In his opening, and this is another half-brother of Jesus. His name is Jude, right before Revelation. When he introduces himself, he doesn't say Jude from the sacred womb of Mary, brother of Jesus, here's my pedigree, here's my resume, here's my business card. Can you imagine? I mean, I took, uh, I had the privilege of uh, being part of a group that went to Israel just recently. And every opportunity at a location that can be exploited for its religious significance is exploited. But these men... James and Jude, look at Jude 1, verse 1, says, Jude says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and I'm the brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And he says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. No mention that I'm the brother of, half-brother of Jesus. No mention from the sacred womb of Mary. Just a desire to be known as the bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, if you turn back to the book of James, one thing that we learn about James as an individual is that he was known as James the Just. He got that reputation actually from a record we have from the historian Eusebius. I'm quoting from R. Kent Hughes when he says, the historian Eusebius records the testimony of Hegesippus that James used to enter the temple, quoting now, from Eusebius, and be found kneeling and praying for forgiveness for the people, so that his knees grew hard like a camel's because of his constant worship of God, kneeling and asking for forgiveness for the people, maybe for himself too. So from his excessive righteousness, he was called the just, or James the just, or some people say he was called old camel knees because of the amount of time he spent in the temple praying. How many times do you think in prayer James reflected on his childhood? How many times do you think he reflected on his unbelief in his his own brother? I mean, it had to be hard for him, but he had to have a good measure of regret. One writer said that James was probably a man that bloomed later in life. He was a flower that bloomed late even though he had great privilege. And when we have great privilege, when we get exposed to the truth at a young age and we reject it and we push it away and we bear the consequences of it, we can live with regret. I heard a testimony from somebody recently that got saved in their 50s 
And they said they regretted the decades that that slipped past them because they couldn't redeem those for the Lord. So those of us who get saved a little later in life, we kind of wish that, you know, we had, we had had those years back to serve the Lord. And we also have a measure of regret because if you're like me, I made a whole host of mistakes when I was not uh, walking with the Lord. And so there's this combination there. James describes himself as the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word bondservant is doulos, as I mentioned. In Hebrew, it's eved. And when a person in the Old Testament, this is recorded in Exodus 21, after they served their time for their master, if they wanted to stay with their master because they loved them and they didn't want to leave, they would perform a ceremony. They would take something like an awl, like an ice pick. They would put the servant, the voluntary slave, against the threshold of a door, The threshold of a home is where you made a covenant. Uh, A husband will carry his bride across the threshold, speaks of a covenant. They would take an awl and they would pierce the ear of that voluntary slave. The message of the Eved or the doulos is my ear will always be open to my master's voice. When my master calls, I will obey him. This is doulos, bondservant, servant or Eved a voluntary slave of the Lord. Here's what else it means. It means I will forever be attached to this house. I have voluntarily said, as for me and my house, I will serve my master. I will serve the Lord. I'm always attached to this house and my ear is always open to the voice or the command of my master. I will not say to him, well, I have a list of things that I do not do. I don't mow lawns. I don't do dishes. I don't do windows. But I will do this. No, Jesus said, if you call me Lord, Lord, then you do what I say. That's what the book of James is about. If you're going to call him Lord, then be a voluntary servant. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. James watched that. He watched the humility of his brother. How could he do any less? And how can you and I? If Jesus was willing to humble himself for his people, Why can't I humble myself for my wife? Why can't I take an extra moment for other people who might need me? Why can't I have that attitude in myself that was also in Christ Jesus? That although he existed in very nature, God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And he humbled himself, Jesus did, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what your Lord did. And he said, look, a servant is not greater than his master. If you want to be like me, then you need to follow me. And James learned that as, of course, as time went by, as the resurrected Christ appeared to him, James became a servant of Christ. And he said something like this, I'm going to redeem every single moment I've got until I go home to be with my Lord. I'm going to redeem every moment I have for the kingdom of God. And so James is writing to the 12 tribes. Uh, Although some try to spiritualize this, I would just beg to differ. The 12 tribes are the 12 tribes of Israel. There's no other way around it. Who are dispersed abroad. They are part of what's called, in a technical term, the diaspora. 
Many times in the history of Israel, there was a dispersion of the Jewish people. In 722 BC, it happened to the northern kingdom when Assyria attacked them and they were dispersed and many taken to captivity. In 586 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem, then there was a dispersion of Jews and they went into Babylon for 70 years of captivity. In the time of Jesus, they, many of them were, of course, in the land of Israel, but the Romans were dominating. And in 70 AD, when the temple fell under the Romans, there was another dispersion. And the Jewish people as a whole did not return to the land of Israel until 1948, from AD 70 to 1948. You want to talk about a dispersion of the Jewish people? Well, that is what has happened. And yet we've seen the land now with Jews going back there. We've seen a re-blossoming of the land. And so the, the literal greeting is to the 12 tribes in the diaspora, Jews who live outside of the land of Israel who have been uh, scattered. There was a scattering that happened at the death of Stephen. You can note the, in the book of Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And the people were scattered. And here's what happened. When the people were scattered after the death of Stephen, they went to Judea and Samaria and they went to other places. And there were other uh, Jewish people who had not become Christians who were also scattered for other reasons. And the Jewish Christians, remember the early church was Jewish. The first 3,000 people that got saved on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached were all Jewish. 3,000 Jewish people were the early church. The early church was Jewish. The door to the Gentiles doesn't happen, open to the Gentiles until Acts 10 with the house of Cornelius. So you need to know that these early Jewish Christians were a very persecuted bunch. They had embraced a Messiah that was largely rejected by the nation. They had been dispersed out of Jerusalem because of persecution. They had gone to neighboring lands only to be rejected by their own people, to knock on a door and say, will you please help us? And someone say to you, who was also Jewish, get out of here. You believe in that would-be Messiah. No, thank you. And a slam of the door in your face. They became destitute, many of them homeless, they had nowhere to go. And, they had, and a lot of this was the consequence of belief in Jesus as the Messiah. Hey, listening family. If you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, putting on the full armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.